Welcome once again to No Apology with the Bible Idiots podcast. I'm Emily Danielson, and today's Wednesday, which means we're going to be bringing the long-form teaching to you once again. And today, Chris is bringing you a part two of a three-part series on being an elite servant of Christ. Last week, he talked about the passion to be elite, and this message, he's going to be talking about purpose to be elite. Now, next week, we're going to be following it up with pushing to be elite. But back to today, we're going to Acts chapter 20, verses 20 through 24. Here's Pastor Chris with purpose to be elite. Today, NASCAR is in Kansas. I would say that there are probably 25 to 30 drivers in today's field in Kansas that will get just about every ounce they can out of the car. They will. And they might not even finish on the lead lap. And that goes back to the engine department, goes back to the chassis department. And there's about four or five teams that have the money to build the kind of cars that can really compete. But that doesn't mean that the next tier down drivers are any lesser of drivers. And there's a passion when you're in a 10th place car to bring it home in a top 10. There's a passion to win if you've got really good equipment. But there's only so much you can do with what you've been given. And so I want us to talk about in our purpose, coming out of our passion, that sometimes we have to play the hand that's been dealt us. And sometimes I don't think we realize what we've got. Sometimes the enemy will try to bluff us with a pair of twos and we're sitting there with a full house or a royal flush. And you don't fold if you got a royal flush. You go all in. That's passion and purpose together. See, last week or two weeks ago, I played the video from the movie City Slickers with... You know, the old cowboy saying there's just one thing. See, because when you focus on one thing that is your passion and the purpose that surrounds it comes in alignment, it's unbelievable you have a shot at being elite. There's good, there's very good, there's great, and then there's elite. Very, very, very few people actually become authentically elite in their passion and purpose in more than one item. It's usually one thing that people can really push for. Because you can be very good and think you're elite and run into somebody else in that particular area and realize, no, you, you ain't elite. You're just very good. And there's nothing wrong with very good. There's nothing wrong with being above average. But there's something special about being elite. Tiger Woods was so obsessed with golf that he used to practice his swing as a kid five, six hours a day. That's an obsession. There's a guy named Brian Benson who married my sister, and they were married for a couple years. I haven't talked to him in over 30 years now. He was a bass player, and he did the stand-up bass, and he did bass guitar, and he, was, he could have wrote his own ticket anywhere. He played in the Philharmonic, you know, Juilliard School of Music. He practiced bass guitar, I'm going to say seven to eight hours five days a week for 20 years growing up, from the time he was five years old. He could play anything. Really good dude. I miss him. But it was an obsession. It was a passion. 
And that passion can fade over time when we get into things and we realize, well, this isn't exactly what I thought it was. The thought of this was actually better than actually doing this. So when you have that passion, then you need to add purpose. And so I want to go, go down the road of purpose today pretty heavy and pretty strong. And I want to start by what's going on all around us and how we can be purposeful within the true authentic pandemic. There's a real pandemic going on, and no, no, it's not COVID. The real pandemic, the true pandemic, which is my purpose, and I really want it to be your purpose, is 100% of people are infected with sin. And 100% of those people are going to die. That's the fact, Jack. Now, we can sit and play patty cake games all we want, but if we really want to get to the passion and the purpose that wants to, some of us as servants of Christ want to push for being elite, first of all, if you weren't here two weeks ago, let me tell you, I don't know what this means. I don't know what it's like to be elite, servant of Christ, but I know I'm supposed to push for it. Maybe I'll see it when I get there. Maybe we never get there. Maybe it's just a journey for it, but I'm going for it, and I came to Kansas to go for it. And I know that there's a spark here. There's some people here that feel the same way as I do, and together we're going to add as many more as we can. We just added Gadget Tittle this morning, and we're going to keep going, and we are going to push to be elite because there's only one solution for the absolute true pandemic of 100% people infected with sin and 100% people going to die, and that is Jesus Christ and his perfect life, his sacrificial death on the cross, and his victory over death, hell, and the grave at the re resurrection. Now, because of that, there's another drive for purpose. And that is what I call pushing back the darkness. Pushing back the darkness. And what's the fuel in that engine when you want to push back the darkness? Well, it starts with Philippians chapter 4, verse 7. In Philippians chapter 4, verse 7, it says this, And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. That's the first thing you got to know. The peace of God will surpass all understanding. What does that even mean? That means we don't have the capacity in our being to process the incredible peace Jesus gives us in the middle of what's going on, and he guards our hearts and minds as we stay in Christ Jesus on a day-by-day, hour-by-hour basis. See, when we seek and find his peace, there's one thing that happens. We start waiting on his return. We're not looking for the Antichrist. Everybody's talking about the end times. I can, I, I can this summer, I will put it together and I will deliver it. I'll give you an end time sermon series that will outline what's going on in Zechariah, Daniel, Revelation, Matthew 24, Luke 17. I've been studying it for years. Ezekiel, oh, Ezekiel's just uh, a goldmine of things that, that could possibly happen as we watch the world events happen. But do not think that for one second I'm going to be looking for who is the Antichrist. I couldn't care less. Many Antichrists have come. Many Antichrists will come. I'm looking for the return of Jesus Christ, my King. I'm focusing on the return of Jesus. Every day is about the return of Jesus. And no, I don't get caught up in the rapture theory either. I'm talking about the return of Jesus. 
Yesterday, 150,000 people died across the globe. That was the day Jesus returned for them, wasn't it? That's the name of the game. So now Jesus, in his passion and purpose for us as his children, as his bride, he said to us, he gave us a few things. He said, do this as you wait for me. In Matthew 28, 19 and 20, he lays it out. He said, if you're focused on my return, go and make disciples in all the world. Let's check out the scriptures. It says, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe everything I have commanded you. And remember, I am with you always to the end of the age. I'm with you always. I will give you a peace that passes all understanding. And as you're going to hear in a minute, when we give up this life for the next, everything becomes crystal clear, and that's all we want, all the time. See, when will the end come? Yes, I understand the scripture says no one knows the day or hour, but Jesus actually told us exactly in the scriptures when it's going to come. You want to hear it? Here it is. It's in Matthew 24, verse 14. This good news of the kingdom will be proclaimed in all the world, as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. This is the purpose, to preach into all the world as a testimony. See, there's all these other religions out there, and they're all trying to work their way to God. And I've taught you that the simple thing is, it's simple. We look unto Jesus. We transfer our trust to Jesus. We surrender our lives to Jesus. And Jesus is the only one out of all the religions in all the world that is not, we're not working our way to Jesus. Jesus works his way down to us. While we were still sinners, he saved us. While we were still pathetic, wretched, awful human beings, he saved us. That's our purpose. So that's my introduction. Let's go to the text. Acts chapter 20, verse 20 through 24. Acts 20 through 24. I'm sorry, Acts chapter 20, verse 20 through verse 24. You know that I did not avoid proclaiming to you anything that was profitable or from teaching you publicly and from house to house. I testified to both Jew and Greeks about the repentance towards God and faith in our Lord Jesus. And now I'm on my way to Jerusalem, compelled by the Spirit, not knowing what I will encounter there, except, verse 23, except that in every town the Holy Spirit warns me that chains and afflictions are awaiting me. And then our main text today is verse 24. But I consider my life of no value to myself. My purpose is to finish my course in the ministry I receive from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of grace. Think about that now. Would we want to go evangelize in the next county over if we knew that chains and affliction waited us there? Straight up, who would be with me? Or would I do what a lot of pastors do? No, you go ahead. I'll cheer you on. I'll pray for you from here. See, Paul was a faithful preacher. 
He not only preached what was profitable, but he preached everything that he thought might be profitable. He kept nothing back. He, he uncorked it all the time, full on, all the time. And it cost him more and more pain. He declined not preaching whenever he thought it might be profitable. If he thought it might do somebody some good, he preached. He shared. He testified, knowing that there were people waiting for him to open his mouth about Jesus so that they could smack him down. He just knew it might be profitable. He didn't care if he offended somebody. He didn't keep back from preaching the cross, even though he knew, it's in our text right there, he knew it was a stumbling block to the, uh, to the Jews and to the Greeks. It was all foolishness. Your, your God, your king, got, got crucified on a cross. He made it his business to serve the Lord, to promote the honor of God and the interest of Christ and his kingdom. He never tried to serve himself. He found himself as a servant of men, and he just didn't care less about what the men were thinking, what their lusts were, what was going on. He wasn't a time server or a clock puncher. He just made it his life to serve the Lord. Whatever he had to do, whatever situation he was in, and we know a lot about him. And when I think of an elite servant of Jesus Christ, I think of the Apostle Paul because of these things. See, he, when he wrote, he wanted to prove to himself and to others that he was what he said he was. And what did he say he was in Romans 1.1? He said, I, Paul, a servant of Jesus Christ. And I'm going to give you three reasons plus a fourth as to why Paul wanted to push to be elite. Point number one, the reason of a pure motive. A reason of a pure motive. Paul simply wanted to finish his course. He knew that God had already planned his steps, and he wanted to finish them. He knew that if he went to the county over, and if chains were waiting him there, that God had a purpose in it, and he would find a peace that passed all understanding in the middle of it. It's incredible. And we have a course to run. I don't know what your course is, but I know, I can guarantee you, if you've accepted Jesus Christ as your Savior and you've transferred that trust, he's got a map for you. And he's asking you not to fight it, but to finish it for his glory. Finish it. Stay with it. Point number two. It was a reason of a powerful ministry. God had used Paul in a wonderful way. It was a powerful ministry. Paul merely wanted to finish his assignment. He wanted to run his race well and receive the victor's crown. Paul only wanted to be an elite servant of Jesus and nothing else mattered. Everything in his life was under that umbrella. If it didn't fall under that umbrella, he, he rejected it. When he says, pray without ceasing, eat and drink unto the Lord, that, that's just daily. I'm just a servant of Christ and I'm going to do what he wants me to do. And it's, 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 it's unbelievable when you live in that surrendered realm how peaceful it is. And it's difficult to explain. I don't say so. The Bible says so. It says it's a peace that passes all understanding. So there's just one person that we need to run to please. That's Jesus. If you're pleasing Jesus and you have opposition, guess what? The opposition is wrong. We live in a woke culture where they want us to apologize for everything. Our new ministry is going to be called No Apology. We're not apologizing for this. 
Romans 1.16, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ because it's the power that's going to save me, that has saved me. Point number three, the reason of a perfect message. The reason of a perfect message. Paul wanted to continue to preach the life-changing message of the gospel of grace. And he knew he was preaching a perfect message. He knew it. The gospel will get the job done. We don't need to resort to new methods and new techniques and, and try to alter the message to make it more palatable for somebody. No, hit it straight and trust God. And in our culture, it seems like now you're just this hardcore truth guy when you're just simply giving the straight truth gospel message straight out of the scriptures without apology. That blows me away. How did we get here? We just need to settle down, walk the old paths, trust God to honor his word. That's it. That's the purpose in getting the passion fired up in us as we push to be elite. And then I want to give you one more fourth point. I want you to understand that Paul rested. He relaxed in all of this. This is not an uptight guy saying the Holy Spirit told me the chains in the next, next town when I go there are waiting me. He's saying that from a really restful, chill position. He is. It was the rest of a surrendered life. It was the rest of a surrendered life. He wasn't moved by what he faced in Jerusalem. Everything was already in place at the altar. He had already taken all that he was and placed it on the altar of Jesus Christ, sacrificed to the glory of God. Paul had already added up all that he was going to be in life, and he determined that Jesus was worth more than all of that no matter what happened. When your all is surrendered, you have nothing at all to fear. When your all is on the altar, you can still use common sense. God gave us common sense. There's certain things that we want to do. If you're in my old neighborhood in Minneapolis, I'd encourage you to lock your doors. Okay? By faith, I'm going to leave the windows down and my keys in the ignition. No, use common sense. But there's no fear anymore. Not like there was. That means you don't ever get scared? No, you get scared because you're still living in the flesh. You still have common sense. But the fear is gone. I don't fear COVID. I fear sin taking someone to hell because they're going to die. Are they dying in their sin or are they dying in Christ? Because we're all infected with sin. I'm going to paraphrase A.W. Tozer in closing as we bring it home. And he says this. He says, to talk of better Christians is to use language foreign to many, many persons because to them, Christians are all alike. All have been justified and forgiven and are children of God. Now stay with me. When you say there's better Christians, it's like, well, the part of that can't be true because if you're a Christian, you're saved. It's like you can't get more pregnant or less pregnant. You're pregnant, right? So you're a Christian. You've been justified and forgiven. You're a child of God. So Tozer says to make comparisons between Christians suggests division, bigotry, and any number of horrible things. But don't forget this. A Christian is one who is a born organism. 
an embodiment of a growing life, and as such may be stunted, undernourished, or injured, just as any other organism can be. Favorable conditions produce a stronger and healthier organism than adverse conditions. It's pretty simple. Keep yourself from stuff and you will grow. Immerse yourself in stuff and you won't grow. And I'm not here to talk about whether you're going to make it to heaven or not. That's not the game we're playing. Some of us here are going to be pushing to elite. And I'm here to tell you right now, if you looked at porn this week, get it out of your life. If you use drugs this week, stop it. Or quit playing games with the Lord Jesus Christ. You follow? Now, I'm not talking about stumbling. A lot of times people stumble. But when you get back up again, you understand that you are a growing organism in the Lord Jesus Christ. And you need good inputs to affect your output. And if you are a servant of Jesus Christ, you want your output to be for his glory. And if you're stoned and you're looking at porn and you're doing this kind of stuff, your output sucks. How about we get real today? Unfortunately, it's possible for a whole generation of Christians to be victims of poor teaching, low moral standards, and unscriptural and even extra-scriptural doctrines, resulting in stunted growth and underdevelopment. I'm not here to argue whether you're a Christian or not. And this is for the elite pursuers, this message. You just got to eliminate some of that stuff in your life. And when you see other people stumble, you got to pray for them with a love and a fervency because you know they are affecting their growth in the Lord. A lot of times, the spiritual climate for many Christians, it's just not the right thing for growth. Think about a couple weeks ago. It was like 70 degrees and 70 degrees, and I don't know, and we got like 150 inches of snow. <laughs> what if you had planted stuff and put it out there and all that snow got on it? Do you think that would have helped it, freezing it? No. But it didn't die. Maybe it'll come back to life. And then we got to fertilize it a little more. We got to do more with it now because it was damaged. This church isn't even one years old yet. It's not. I'm sorry. I'm the one who went through and cleaned out all the gutters around here for, you know, in, in, in August and September. We had a clean slate, brand new beginning on September 13th. And on October 4th, we did a relaunch. Those are our anniversary dates going forward. And it's not just because I'm your pastor. I'm just telling you, there was some damaged plants around here that needed to be redone with some sunshine from above. And we're watching it happen. And now these plants want to grow. And they want to be elite plants for the Lord Jesus Christ. But the whole evangelical world at large, I call it the Christian industry, to a large extent, hear me now, is unfavorable to healthy Christians. And I'm not talking about modernism or progressive. I'm talking about the Bible-believing crowd that bears the name of orthodoxy, has a lot of mumbo-jumbo in it that just isn't good for growing Christians. Let's face it. Here's the bottom line as I bring it home. The whole level of spirituality among us as American Christians is low. See, we have measured ourselves by ourselves until the incentive to seek higher plateaus and the things of the Spirit is all but gone. Not anymore. Not in Abilene, Kansas. Not at Lifehouse Church. 
here Tozer directly. The fact that we are not producing saints, we are making converts to a weak type of Christianity that bears little resemblance to that of the New Testament. The average so-called Bible Christian in our times is but a wretched parody on true sainthood. Yet we put millions of dollars behind movements to perpetuate this degenerate form of religion, here it is, and attack the man who dares challenge the wisdom of it. Clearly, we must be producing better Christians. We must insist on New Testament sainthoods for our converts and nothing less. And we must lead them to a state of heart purity, fiery love, separation from the world, and poured out devotion to the person of Christ. Only in this way can the low level of spirituality be raised again to where it should be in the light of Scripture and eternal values. In other words, let's push to be elite servants for such a time as this. Follow? Yes? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord Jesus, Holy Spirit, I'm sick of the weakness in myself. And I see the strength building in others. Lord, take this little fellowship and make it your own in a deeper and bigger way. Let life of pie grow as we become praying people. Let our covenant partners grow as people decide that this is the place that we're going to make our stand for the kingdom. And we're going to do it in your strength. We're going to do it with the spine of steel that you give us, not in our own conjured up strategic plan, but in a culture that is just immersed with your word, with your love, with your hope, and with faith, and with a peace that passes all understanding. Lord Jesus, be with us. Keep us. Hold us tight. And give us that good fertile soil to grow in, in spite of the times around us. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for tuning in to our Sunday message. To donate, request prayer, or to contact Pastor Chris, you can write to Lifehouse Church at P.O. Box 661, Abilene, Kansas, 67410, or go online at lifehouse-church.com. On behalf of the entire congregation, thanks again for your support.